Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. Well, when it comes to Father's Day, fathers and all of that sort of thing, we need, we need to refer to the experts. And given the, uh, given the set of circumstances that we, fought, we, we find unfolding in the streets of our cities, we, we need the experts to guide us. So, former president of the American Psychological Association in 2004, we do not believe that the data support the conclusion that fathers are essential to child well-being. Having a father present in a family situation may be detrimental to the child, and the harmful effects of divorce are related more to the economic factors, such as the loss of a father's income, rather than the absence of a father. Thank you, experts. Now here is a gentleman, an African-American gentleman, gentleman preaching, or speaking, I should say, in a church on the south side of Chicago. We know that more than half of all black children live in single-parent households, a number that has doubled, doubled since we were children. We know the statistics that children who grow up without a father are five, five times more likely to live in poverty and commit crime, nine times more likely to drop out of school, 20 times more likely to end up in prison. They are more likely to have behavioral problems or run away from home or become teenage parents themselves. And the foundations of our community are weaker because of it. How many times in the last year has this city lost a child at the hands of another child? How many times have our hearts stopped in the middle of the night with the sound of a gunshot or a siren? How many teenagers have we seen hanging around on street corners when they should be sitting in classrooms? How many are sitting in prison when they should be working or at least looking for a job? How many in this generation are we willing to lose to poverty or violence or addiction? How many? Yes, we need more cops on the street. Yes, we need fewer guns in the hands of people who shouldn't have them. Yes, we need more money for our schools, but we also need families to raise our children. We need fathers to realize that responsibility does not end at conception. We need them to realize that what makes you a man is not the ability to have a child, it's the courage to raise one. 2008, Barack Obama at his church on the south side of Chicago. It starts in the home. It starts with how you raise your children. If a young man doesn't have a father figure, he'll go find a father figure. So you know, I can't blame the system. One of the things that saddens me the most about my people is fathers that don't take care of their sons and daughters. And you can't blame that on the, on the system, on the man or getting frisked. Take responsibility. Look in the mirror and take responsibility. Denzel Washington. So if it's the system that's at fault, if I'm a racist, I'm off the hook. 
I'm not responsible. The system's responsible. I'm off the hook. How is it that things that have happened a hundred years ago or 200 or 400 years ago, how is it that they're responsible but I'm not? We are responsible. We personally, individually are responsible. That is the, the good news of the gospel, that we're made free. That God has made us in his image and likeness. And he tells us not to subject ourselves to the yoke of slavery in any way, shape, or form. That means if I'm free, I'm responsible. And I take a hold of whatever set of circumstances I have, and I assume responsibility as best I can. Yes, there are times when we're victimized. Yes, there are times when things don't work out as they should. Yes, there are times when we can't control things. But in as much as we can, we take responsibility. When Jesus said, what father, when, he asked, when a child asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion? Who would do that? It happens all the time. How many children ask for food? and are given nothing? How many children ask for affection and he's not there? Happens all the time. Jesus shares those words in a setting where the answer to those questions are presumed to be obvious. What is going on in our culture and in our time when the answer to those questions are no longer obvious? What father, when his child asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion? All kinds of them out there. On the south side of Chicago and in North Naples, it's everywhere out there. So Jesus, when he teaches his disciples how to pray, the first word is potter. And we think first word is our. First word is father. We're instructed by Jesus himself to know God as father, address him as father. Because so many don't have a father. And to think of God is, is to think of one who, beyond what is experienced in this life for those kids who, who are alone, who are orphaned by a father, at least they are not bereft of a father. So he says, when you pray, say, Father, our paternos, our father. So that we can know that we're loved. And it's not, it's not a God who's apart from and distant, but a God who's present and with us, cares for us, who gave his, his only begotten to die for us, 
drives me crazy in my connection with liberal seminaries and liberal theologians, etc., etc., that they take God and, and make God distant again. They'll come up with all kinds of ways of addressing God other than Father. And yes, there's some 450 designations, names for God the Father in the Bible. But when Jesus says, when you pray, say, Our Father. Father. And that brings God in close. The argument has been, yeah, but there are bad dads, and so we have to, we have to try to reimagine God. No, we reimagine what it means to be a human being and what it means to be a father. We, we double up our calling as men to be men to our children, to show our little kids how to, what a father's love is all about. So our little girls know what it is to receive the, the love of a man, real love of a man, and the love of a real man. And our little boys know how to become a man. Otherwise, as Denzel Washington said, they will find a father figure if they don't have one. And it'll be some, for a 13-year-old, be some 19-year-old on the street who himself had no father at all. We, we know this. And why is it that in our time, we just don't have reference to the breakdown of the family? In the African-American community right now, I've heard the estimates are as high as 80% of children growing up without a father. Do we really think that that doesn't have a detrimental impact on, on their community, on the lives of those little ones, those kids? Do we really continue to simply blame the system? And those who are closest to it simply say, Let's take responsibility for ourselves, for our own lives, for our own children, for our own families. Let's make sure that everyone's taken care of the best we can. Sorry, I feel passionate about this stuff. It destroys me when I encounter, as I have so many times in my ministry, Children who've been neglected by their own father, by their own flesh and blood, it kills me. Who does that? Who does that? These words are probably familiar to you. Then the light begins to shine, and I hear those ancient lullabies. And as I watch the seedling grow, feel my heart start to overflow. Where do I find the words to say? How do I teach him? What do we play? Bit by bit, I've realized that when I need them, that's when I need my father's eyes. Then the jagged edge appears through the distant clouds of tears. I'm like a bridge that was washed away. My foundations were made of clay. As my soul slides down to die, how could I lose him? What did I try? Bit by bit, I've realized 
that he was here with me. I look into my father's eyes, Eric Clapton, who never knew his father. And then when his old little boy was four years old, Clapton was doing the best he could to be a father to that little guy. And at one moment when he was looking the other way, a little four-year-old boy, as four-year-old boys will, managed to climb out of their apartment window and fall to his death. Clapton wrote those words in between, not knowing his father and then having his own son taken from him. And he goes on with another song. Would you hold my hand if I saw you in heaven? Would you help me stand if I saw you in heaven? I'll find my way through night and day because I know I just can't stay here in heaven. Time can bring you down. Time can bend your knees. Time can break your heart. Have you beg and please. Beyond the door, there's peace, I'm sure. I know there'll be no tears in heaven. So it is that we, with this one single life we have, have a charge and a responsibility to give of ourselves. The lie of our culture is that this is one life and we have one opportunity to get out there and get as much stuff as we can. Those who get it realize that we are to get out there and give as much as we can. Because he's not here, I can talk about him. That's what I love about Bill Allen. Bill must have three or 4,000 kids, grandkids, and great-grandkids. And I'm so glad that he's up in New York with all of them. But what do they know when they see him, when they look in their father's eyes? They know a man who does everything he can for them and for that community. I went up to Skinny Atlas to visit them about four years ago. And we were at the YMCA. And Bill was showing me around, he said, Kirk, come here, I want to show you the ice rink. I used to coach hockey. And we started walking, he said, here, here, come over this way. We'll go in this entrance over here. And we turned and I looked over my shoulder and there were Bill and Penny's name over the arch into the rink. And later in my visit, Dave Curtin, who's a good friend of that family and dear friend to us here, took me aside and he said, you would not believe all that they have done for this community. Yeah, I would. Because I see what he's made of. See the kind of man he is and how he won't brag about what he gives. He doesn't brag about what he has. He simply is who he is and he loves people. If Bill sees this, I take it all back. And I wanted to share with you, it's hard to read so much of my sermon this morning, but I wanted to share with you 
I was impacted this week by a, a picture of my dad that was on Facebook that my, my sister posted. And for whatever reason, it just impacted me. And I decided to do what I've never done before, and that is do a Facebook post. And, uh, and I wrote these words. Dad. He grew up in an, an, an identical twin to Emil in a family of six kids, but he was the best looking, he would tell us. He played basketball in Gonzaga, went to LA with a handful of elite engineers to work on bomb sites, entered the European theater via Normandy in July of 1944. He made it through the messy battles of Hurtgen Forest, the Bulge, the Ardennes, and wrote home that he was living on the threshold of the dead. Behind enemy lines during doing recon, he was the first GI into Ordruf, the first concentration camp liberated by American forces. Meeting the love of his life in Richland, Washington while surveying for power plants on the Columbia River, he married mom on New Year's, Day, New Year's Eve in 1948 always bragging that Carla was born nine months to the day afterwards. She was premature, but what do facts have to do with anything? Carla, Sally, Noel, and I grew up in a home where mom was rightly worshipped and dad did everything for her and us. We grew up in the safety and security of a father who provided, protected, supported, and guided. On Sunday afternoons, Dad and I, Saturday afternoons, Dad and I would often go out for no real purpose other than do things together. Every time it was some variation on the theme, your mother is the smartest, most beautiful person I know. She's even smarter than me. Values in our home were caught more than taught, and that on a firm foundation of faith. Church, prayer before meals, the Lord's Prayer and the 23rd Psalm when in the car, discussions around the table that ultimately spiraled down to touch that foundation. In such a home, we saw mom and dad serving in the church, giving, picking up a little black kid for Sunday school, inviting Navajo kids over for Thanksgiving, changing churches when the preacher didn't believe in miracles, and putting up with me when I rebelled wearing cutoffs and t-shirts to church. At 13, I wept into a sweatshirt at the most traumatic experience of my life. I remember the sweet aroma of my father when he said, Kurt, we may never know why this happened. Maybe you'll go into the ministry. Someone has said that famous people are rarely great. Great people are rarely famous. Our dad was a great husband, a great father, great man. And that is what we are to be, men. We are to be great, if only to our wives and children, if only to our loved ones, if only to our families, our friends, and our church. 
what the Apostle Paul calls a high calling. You bow with me in prayer. And thank you, Lord, that in you we have a Father. In you we have one who's an example to all, an example that none of us can accomplish, and one who is with us even when our fathers are absent. Thank you, O Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name.
If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.